The materials provided are for information only and do not constitute as an offer. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors. Neither Zach or Jack are financial advisors. The information contained in this podcast episode has been compiled with considerable care to ensure its accuracy at the date of publication. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made to accuracy or completeness. We shall not be responsible for any consequential effect, nor be liable for any direct, consequential, incidental, indirect loss or damage, however caused, arising from the use of, inability to use, or reliance upon any information or materials provided on this podcast, whether or not such loss or damage is caused by us. Links to third-party sites are provided for your information only. The content and software of these sites have been issued by third parties. As such, we cannot be responsible for the accuracy of information contained in these sites, nor be held liable for any loss or damage arising from or related to their use. Investors should be cautious about any and all crypto asset and investment recommendations and should consider the source of any advice on crypto asset selection. Various factors, including personal or corporate ownership, may influence or factor into an expert's stock analysis or opinion. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual crypto assets before making a purchase decision. In addition, investors are advised that past crypto asset performance is no guarantee of future price appreciation. Do not invest money you cannot afford to lose. All investments come with a degree of risk. So today on the Tokenomics podcast, we have a friend and colleague that I met uh, during my first trip to Japan, Ken Kitahara, the VP of Investment at B-Cryptos. How are you doing today, Ken? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we're recording at definitely a, a day in which I'm sure both of us have been very busy. This is a Wednesday, April 3rd, amidst a lot of really crazy price movements in the markets. Mm-hmm. How does that affect your uh, your day-to-day with what's going on in terms of the, the, upward, the upward volatility? Yeah, so in terms of, uh, let me just kind of briefly introduce what we do. Um, we're Japan's uh, first... Uh, digital assets fund. We're registered with the Japanese FSA. We have two businesses. One's um, more of a VC type business where where we invest in uh, illiquid tokens. And um, we also hold equity. But um, the other bit is uh, we also manage um, listed currencies via, you know, an ARB trading operation to, to manage our capital. So you know, our traders have been um, pretty much glued to the desks, given that, you know, there's been a lot more um, volatility in the past few weeks. And, you know, especially Bitcoin, given that 20% price hike two days ago. So, uh, you know, that uh, I'm more on the VC side. So uh, I've seen more of the trading desk operations get busier and busier um, over the past few uh weeks but all in all it's it's great for the business you know it's it's an arb trading desk so it's not like we manage a huge amount of funds but it's also uh, important in getting the day-to-day operation costs and making some profit soft volatility so you know on, on the on, on that side of things i have seen we've seen certainly a operation performance hike just bottom line those guys are seem pretty busier than um, I've seen in a few months. So, so you've been able to sleep, but there's been there's been people up. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> cool. So, what is your background, and you know how how were you led to, you know, the position you're in now? What did that transition look like? 
Yeah. So um, I used to be more of a traditional finance guy. I used to want to work in one of the investment banks in Japan. It's a bank called Mizuho. But um, there I was, you know, ma- mainly doing traditional internet investment banking. So meaning that we have internet clients, internet company, big time clients that we would go to and pitch for um, M- M&A deals, you know, equity finance deals, and all the other tasks related to that, including um, some not too, uh, uh, you know, my, my previous company might um, kill me for saying this, but, uh, you know, non-deal roadshows, arranging those, they're never fun. So um, that's how I actually came into contact with blockchain and Bitcoin, because I think it was the spring of uh, 2017, you know, we started getting calls we, we, we get calls every day, but we started to realize that we got calls regarding, you know, blockchain, Bitcoin and and everything related to that. So it's it's basically like, you know, what are blo- what is blockchain? What is Bitcoin? What are ICOs and everything related from that to uh, more detailed stuff? So um, we started getting these type of calls from not just one company, but we noticed we got them in whatever aspect from, you know, three to five companies. And then that's where we started that it would make sense to uh, kind of make a deck covering, you know, blockchain ABC, Bitcoin ABC. And, um, you know, that's what we did. Uh, we, we swapped out the title page so that we could bring it around, take it around and uh, take the deck around to uh, a lot of our clients. And, um, the person who usually made those kind of decks was uh, someone like me. So um, that's that was my first uh, contact professionally with the space. And um, after that, I started looking into it more and more. On the personal side, my friend who uh, went to uh, a U.S. college, um, he had uh, a lot of exposure with um, Bitcoin. And I remember I bought my he well, I didn't buy it. He sold me. Um, I think it was two Bitcoin. Um, that was in 2013 um, on spring break. I didn't even remember that, but uh, he did. And so apparently, my first investment that I never really remembered that I had was probably the, the best investment that I'm ever gonna make, which is kind of ironic because uh, I think Bitcoin was at 45 bucks a piece when i bought it and uh, uh and you still hold all of it? it yeah i like uh, yeah it sounds good but i i didn't even remember that i had it and uh <laughs> he had it for me so uh he reminded me i think it was around uh september 2017 and um yeah i sold it at 10k so uh he held on to 20 i think um but yeah i mean like that that's i'm not i'm not trying to like uh say that i had all the um, necessary insight to uh, carry out that investment or anything. But that was uh, just one side note. <laughs> yeah, apparently I had uh, exposure personally from an earlier time. But um, yeah, professionally, that was when I started looking into things. And that kind of uh, carried over to my uh, personal interests as well. And um, the boss that I used to, well, the, the guy that I used to work with on the team um, at Mizuho, Next thing he knows, he quits um, his job, and then he starts a digital assets investment fund because he had uh, ties with a lot of the traditional internet guys. And um, 
one of the close species that a close species friends he had, uh, Hiro Watanabe, which is um, who is the CEO of uh, who runs the B Dash Ventures Fund. Um, that's a traditional equities VC um, that's been in operation for about ten years now. So yeah, he he um, partnered with B Dash and he started his own digital investments fund, which was B Cryptos, and um, he asked me to join. Uh, that was around uh, December 2018, no, 2017. And um, I joined, I think it was uh, February 2018. And um, yeah, it's it's been over a year. But uh, it just, just flew by quickly. And I'm still trying to learn the ropes around this whole uh, blockchain space. It's, it's a fun industry to be in, that's for sure. Yeah, so... How how do you approach finding you know undervalued or you know good good projects to to invest in? Yeah, so um a lot has changed since we started the fund, right? And um back then it's kind of some well in a sense it's similar to what's happening now. It was said that you know the ICO regulations in Japan were going to be uh, released in I think it was April 2018. That was the sentiment back then. And, um, you know, it was easy to do an ICO out of Japan. There was, like, huge uh, general market sentiment in Japan was great, right? And that was because uh, the government was all pro-crypto. And, you know, when we when we originally started the fund, it was um, our, our main uh, investment targets were basically domestic Japanese ICO projects. And um, that was what we had in mind when we started the fund. Now, however, what happened after that was that CoinCheck, you know, got hacked. I think it was about 500 million USD. And after that, you know, the government started, there was this huge shift in market sentiment. So the government started regulating the exchanges it was now it's now virtually impossible to run a japanese ico out of japan and um we were forced to uh you know pivot to more global opportunities our fund has three partners one of them is b dash ventures the fund that i was telling you about um the other is uh coin which is a japanese licensed exchange which has their own um global operation so ken how, how do you personally approach you know investing Personally, it's I see I look at um, whether this application or infrastructure has any real case, real use cases, right? Or um, use cases that can be done within the next six months or year when I'm looking at that particular project. Personally, so um, right now it's 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 a lot of things that have to do with decentralized uh, finance or it doesn't have to be centralized at right now, but some gaming projects that we think there will be uh, traction in terms of the user perspective, right? So, you know, users have to use a service. And when we invest in it, we, we or, you know, me personally, I like to see some feasibility within the next year or, or uh, six months six months a year that's one and um from that i think a lot of things come into play such as you know 
the user experience when you're using the service itself. So one thing that we tend to focus on is, you know, I, I hear a lot of um, projects come to us and say great things. And then the next thing they say when we ask them how we can, the users can use a service, um, a lot of them say that, you know, first you need to go to exchange, open ex- exchange account, um, by the, ex- uh, by the tokens from the exchange. So when we hear that, we see this great on-ramp barrier that I'm assuming most users will probably, that will drive most of the users away. So, um, you know, it's, it's those little things, right? Usability, people actually using service and, uh, uh things that are implemented to, um, prevent uh, certain barriers that will drive some users away. That's that's one um, thing that we look out for, in, in, in especially. So what are some examples of projects that you're, you know, excited about that you think, uh, you know, <clears throat> myself and uh, our listeners should learn more about? There's this project called um, Sandbox, which is, uh, it's like a Minecraft type um it's a game that's been around for a while, and um, it, it was uh, on 2D. Now they're, they're shifting over to 3D. And the interesting thing about it, this, it's, uh, it's all about monetizing, helping creators monetize their user-generated content. So, you know, obviously they would have... It's, it's like a game, right? It's like a normal game. Uh, you create your uh, avatar or... You, you, have you played Minecraft before? I have not personally played, but I had a lot of okay. friends in college that, that have, okay. so I've definitely, I, I know what it kind of looks like. Yep, yep. The so, general thing, yeah. Uh-huh. So in, you, in Minecraft or in this particular game, right, it's uh, it's like an open world. It's like you can you can create whatever you want. So that could be like a part, that could be an item, so say a sword, or that could be... Uh, an avatar or character so that could be like a hero that you control or a a boss character that you have to defeat or the player or the users have to defeat or it could be like a whole map part of map or it could be like a game mode right so um let's say uh i create i'm i'm a creator and i create a game and in that game, I put in a boss, right? And a boss character. And for the game, I, let's I say I set like a, one, a uh, hundred tokens to uh, enter into that game and play my boss character. And if, if the player wins, he gets like a reward. So let's say he gets a thousand tokens. And, um, the the interesting thing here is it just opens up a whole new uh, business, right? So um, yeah, it depends on like difficulty of the of the boss character. If if my boss character is like way too difficult to defeat, then no one would come to play my game. But um, if it's you know too easy, then I'll be bleeding cash, right? Because every time a player beats my boss character, then yeah, I'm in, I'm in the red. So uh. Yeah, it just opens up a whole new um, business in terms of, you know, when we were kids, our parents will tell us not to play games or not, not to uh, spend too much time on them. Even in Japan? And um, <laughs> Yeah, even in Japan. I mean, my parents, Asian parents, um, 
Um, yeah, they were pretty strict. Asian parents, only child. So, you know, um, but sure. I, I, I really loved it. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, I was always, always a gamer. But um, my, my sample size is kind of limited. But when I when I was over there, I, you know, just saw a lot of people kind of playing, playing games in cafes and on their phones. And yeah, uh, a lot of my favorite games, games, you know, come definitely. come out of Japan. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even in Japan. So, you know, that's saying a lot of things. Yeah. But, you know, imagine this would turn into a business, right? I bet a lot of people do it. And, you know, even now it's just, you know, people do it for free. People just post uh, their user-generated content onto the onto the web, onto the marketplace. There is a marketplace, but um, the marketplace itself, it's just um, onto the game itself. But um, it's not monetized at all. And imagine if um, there were, it was monetized. Um, people are still, people have been playing it for a while. Uh, yeah, they they have an existing user base. So which I, I'm assuming some of that will translate to the newer game the decentralized version of it so um yeah for me it's just uh it op- so one you know it has an existing user base which has been very loyal the game around it has the, the older game has been around for about seven years it's had its high and lows but it still has relatively um large volume of users using it and um highly active too because there's been about i think it was about a hundred thousand um new items worlds and avatars being posted on a daily basis so i mean just given that there's a probably going to be you know a large number of users using it you know as a game itself it's still you know it's it's nothing like it's it's a good game i mean users are using it and i'd i'd want to play it so you know i think that's the really important thing about gaming it's whether that game is interesting you know, blockchain or blockchain at all. You know, it's uh, it's it's fun enough to play. And three, it's just it just opens up this huge um new business that hasn't been there, right? And uh, that's a new opportunity that we'd like to look into a lot. Yeah, I think you know, gaming is a very natural application mm-hmm. for kind mm-hmm. of a more distributed economy with native mm-hmm. tokens because users are already mm-hmm. kind of really used to that type of experience. Um, yep. that's not an area that I personally or our fund is looking that much at mainly just mm-hmm. because we don't have like the background or expertise. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that are in the crypto space that do, uh, mm-hmm. but it's definitely something that I, that I think is, you know, one of the kind of you know, easier beachhead markets for crypto broadly speaking, but more specifically like native economy or like more like work type utility tokens to have a, a natural fit. Mm-hmm. So this is the tokenomics podcast. So I, I have to ask, mm-hmm. uh, what does that word mean to you, and how did, how does that affect kind of your your diligence process and how you look into different crypto assets? You know, these days there's been a lot of projects that come to uh, gather money, um, raise capital with you know a hybrid offering of equity and tokens. Now that's something we're still kind of working to figure out because. Uh, in a sense, that does and doesn't make sense at the same time. And um, obviously, when you look at pure token plays, right, tokenomics is what matters the most. So, you know, you mentioned work type tokens. There is also uh, BME type tokens where um, you burn and mint. The ratio depends on, 
whether there's more tokens burned or more tokens minted. Yeah, all in all, when we look at pure token plays, it's it's a very important aspect in terms of a sustainability and b whether that the value is able to be captured through that token model that uh, the project offers. And um, when it comes to like these hybrid uh, plays, we still do look at tokenomics, but it's just that, yeah, it's whether a we, we take the um, equity upside or b we take the token uh, the token upside, and um, it kind of gets um, confusing in a way from there. But um, yeah, definitely, it's, it's a huge part of uh, what we look for, and I guess it's we we take a more of a service take on things, so we start from the service. And you know what, what I mentioned—the usability and and the user experience. But then I think at the down the line, we we look at it as whether it it, it has a token economics uh, structure that makes sense. So what and, do you what do you mean by the service? Oh, um, so you know the verticals, whether it has. So we look at it from a bus- We look at things a from from a business perspective, where we see this much users and whether that service will can will be used and sure sure um, yeah so 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 yeah. what what are some examples of you know maybe projects that you, that you've passed on where you felt from mm-hmm. a business perspective things things were looking good and maybe the team looked good but that the tokenomics mm-hmm. made it made it unattractive so for example right there was this distributing computing platform that we were pretty interested in but then you know i think when you look at like pure staking, it just that's something that it's 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 just all over the place. It's saturated one, and um, for for distributed you know computing plays, right? It's uh staking isn't just going to do it. Pure just just taking doesn't make sense from a tokenomics perspective. You need some type of uh, work model when it comes to those um, services that aren't differentiated right yeah it's it's something that uh it just didn't work it just uh wasn't enough that or the way we saw it to capture the whole value of of the uh token economy so you know like tokens like uh filecoin those um models it, it it relies on the fact that the services offered well, it doesn't differ much, right, from whether it's Filecoin or um, something else that offers like a distributed storage um, platform. And um, the service it's itself, it, it's offering um, file storage for uh, other users. And um, that service itself is, um, yeah, I'm trying to look for a good word here, but um, it, it's a... Uh, it's a service that is offered and doesn't change much from, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Dropbox and uh, other storage services. It's just they offer services to store their files. And that's pretty much it, right? So those models have, like, a fit with um, the uh, work token models. But, um, yeah, it just wasn't enough staking. The other bit, I think another project would be... Uh, so there was this uh, stablecoin project, or I think it's a low volatility coin project. But um, that itself had uh, 
which this is a good example, but um, it had staking, but it also had like a governance. What what project? Um, we we actually didn't get into it, so um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name, but um, okay, it starts with a B, yeah, and uh, it's a low volatility coin project. The basis? And um, no, 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 it's not basis. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, they had they had a governance um protocol. Uh, they had a governance structure built into the staking, right? So, um, for sta- the you know the amount of people who who actually stake these tokens will be able to uh, receive some sort of um, control over the uh, voting voting rights for um, the rate that the delegates, right, the of the DPOS structure provide in terms of the rate of the of the low volatility coin right the inflation rates and all that and people vote on the the ideas of these delegates and they have the yeah they have the right to um vote for these these ideas presented by the delegates for the uh rate of the low volatility coin that's going to be for the next for for the next month right and once they do it's lot it's like a lottery ticket where um some users so the more tokens you hold it's like the more um chances of you the chances of you getting that participation uh voting reward for the uh particular token will increase and you'd have uh certain voting rights uh built in so it's not just pure staking where if you stake this much you get this much but um yeah it's the uh the lottery scheme that was built into it and the voting rights that come with it. Yeah, so 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 this is an example of of when you pass due to the, the that those like underlying tokenomics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I and this is where the kind of the definition of token economics comes into play. Where I, I think from our perspective, it's it's a lot more relevant when you're looking at kind of like the work network utility token type mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. where when you're looking at like a stable or as you put it you know a low low volatility because you never have true stability that isn't you know mm-hmm, artificial mm-hmm. when you're looking at that it's it's yeah i guess token economics still a- apply depending on how you define mm-hmm. it but that looks very different mm-hmm. than like the incentive structure for let's say like how do we get all the actors in a you know distributed cybersecurity network to mm-hmm. do the right type of work to maintain a you know a, a database to keep everyone secure versus mm-hmm. you know this is more kind of monetary policy on mm-hmm. okay how mm-hmm. do we keep enough reserves and how do we you know incentivize the right type of arbitrage such that we keep the mm-hmm. right you know low yeah. volatility and yeah I think I think with stable coins it's it's a lot more difficult with you know more more black swan events possible mm-hmm. black swan events than in the more kind of utility work network mm-hmm. uh, type tokens. And yeah, I mean, until we, our fund invested in reserve, uh, although until then I was not planning on really investing in any low volatility or stable tokens uh, mm-hmm. because I think for a lot of them, it's not, it's kind of a, an asymmetric bet in the, in the wrong way where there's lots mm-hmm. of risks, but there's not necessarily a ton of upside based on the underlying token economics of how it's structured. And I, I would agree based on, you know, I, I would want to look at it more to, to give a definitive answer based on what you said. It, it doesn't seem like 
there's particularly attractive upside in the project you were talking about based on how they they're they're structuring you know the staking mechanism yep so w- what are some examples of like your favorite you know tokenomic structures broadly speaking broadly speaking i like bird and mint although that doesn't really apply to a lot well has the um so binance token yeah, is, like is, the, is the main is the main one can, can you talk a little bit more about the burn and mint and you kind of explain it to our listeners and and what you like about it sure um so the burn and mint right it's uh it depends on so there's a fixed fiat based amount which um will be burned and will be minted right so i think one of the um projects that use this is uh it's a factum if i remember correctly but um it's not like the work token model where tokens are like a payment currency right but when users pay for a service they don't directly transfer the the payment in in tokens but they they burn the tokens themselves. When when you burn these tokens, there should be like a fiat based price, and that should be fixed. And the token price should be um, actually uh, the token price is um, not fixed, but the cost of the service is. So what happens is there's going to be new tokens minted every month. Now. Or, or or a certain time frame, right? And once those are minted and there are users who use them, uh, who, who burn tokens, and the uh, cost of the uh, service is based in fiat, it, it shows that the more people are using the service, more people will burn the tokens. And once the tokens... More once more tokens are burned than that is minted, you could see the um you know assuming that there are no speculators in the market, you can actually predict some price movement. Do you think there's ever a scenario in which there aren't speculators in the market, where the yeah. primary use case for this is ex- you know exchange exchanges? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's a good point. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's um something that yeah, I mean like you know speculators in the market there always will be, but you know even still, it's a pretty simple formula on paper, where you know it's uh you could predict some price a certain level of price movement you know based on the number of tokens burned and number of tokens minted. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you see any potential like, you know, black swan type events with the burn and mint model? You know, I'm like, I think BAT is one, right? That should use a burn mint. Well, um, yeah, my, 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 my question is for burn and mint mm-hmm. tokens, do you, mm-hmm. do you foresee potential things that could happen that could result in a you know, a fast collapse of the token price. Like uh, a comparable analogy is like the, I think the best kind of criticism of basis that Nevin Friedman uh, and the reserve team, I think put fairly articulately in a medium post. And I can link to that in the, in the podcast notes 
um, mm-hmm. where, you know, with basis, uh, in the way that they structure their senior ed share without having any like collateral reserves, basically mm-hmm. if, if, if there was confidence that was lost, the price could basically instantly, you know, kind of plummet to zero. If people didn't have mm-hmm. confidence that others were going to buy these shares that entitled you to rights in the future, because there's no kind of collateral backing it. So that, that's like, I think, not really a black swan event, but a foreseeable issue that can, where you can see kind of a collapse in the token price. So I, I'm just curious if, even though you're a fan of them, if, if you see any type of comparable examples within like a BNB or other type of burn and mint tokens. With these types of tokens, right, it's once there is a price collapse, should, you know, a speculator be involved or another case, um, once the price goes down, it just, uh, because um, the the price has a lot to do with the um, number of tokens burned uh, relative, because you know the, the fiat cost is set in stone, right? So um, once the price goes down and you know the service itself is not hasn't gathered enough uh, amount of trust yet, people will probably uh, it's it's just easy to assume that users who um, do not have enough faith in using the service yet um, will flock to other options. And that will just cause this massive price collapse that will just... Uh, it's, it's hard to take it up from there, right? Then I, I'm assuming another speculator has to be involved to, to, uh, to um, arb that opportunity. But um, yeah, I mean... I think those use uh, this service model should be used more by um, established names. You know, uh, BAT seems to, uh, in my opinion, you know, they should use this model, and they 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 are like um, you know, I use their Brave browser all the time. It's uh, how would it's a how would how would Brave pivot BAT to a burn and mint model? I'm not I I'm not sure I follow. Basically, you know, the BAT is, um, they use that BAT, users use that BAT to um, pay out the, uh, I mean, like, right now, it's um, the prices is, are set for uh, paying out the uh, advertisers, right? So um, you have, like, a $5 model uh, pricing plan or a $10 pricing plan, and um, that amount in cent fiat and um once instead of burning these tokens and uh uh, paying these tokens directly to the uh advertisers uh, what um, people can do uh, what what bat can do is mint those tokens to the advertisers um based on the uh amount of um user activity or like the total user generated amount of interest uh, towards that advertiser uh, attention and the users can directly burn the a certain amount of tokens um, with new tokens minted to the advertisers themselves so that they can um, capture more of the value. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll send this over to Brave, see what they think. <laughs> yeah, that's just an idea, but you know. Yeah, I wonder if given their governance structure, they could even feasibly do this. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just an idea, but you know, 
so so what are some examples of well-known or just somewhat known token economic structures that mm-hmm. you feel like just fundamentally don't work? One is, okay, so they're fundamentally don't work as in sustainability or just, I take, just take, have to take that statement however you wish. Okay. Okay. What well, one thing that I haven't seen work too well with a lot of, you know, projects that I've been following is pure staking, right? Or, um, pure staking and send that is, uh, for example, right? You see these trans mining exchanges where users are encouraged to lock in a certain amount of their tokens. And, um, that usually doesn't translate to, uh, a sustained price, stable growth. And it just results in this huge pump because people are locking amounts of money, uh, amounts of the tokens that they hold in to get the uh, transaction mining rewards. But, you know, when everyone starts locking it in, there is uh, so few, there are so few, like excessive trans mining rewards, right? let's say over a hundred percent and people are locking these tokens in to get the trans mining rewards, but there's just too much, uh, too less, just too limited, um, liquidity on the exchange for these tokens. So that one, one sell or one sell order can really, really fluctuate the, the price of this thing. And once it does fluctuate, people will start, selling off the locked up tokens that they have. Uh, you know, they might pay like a 50% transaction fee to uh, unlock those tokens. But once that starts, the uh, price just, price movement just plummets near zero. And yeah, I mean, like for those excessive trans mining schemes, I've never seen one work sustainably. That's That's one model that I can say. You know, if, if the trans mining rewards were like uh, lower than 100 percent or. Um, yeah, I think that that can't be that wouldn't be the same. But um, yeah, that's one area that I, I personally see, you know, less sustained growth. And um, more volatile short term movements was the token amount usually going down pretty, pretty bad. Cool. So Ken, I'd love to learn more about the Japan blockchain ecosystem. Can you give me and my listeners uh, a little tidbit of what's going on? Yeah, sure. So a lot has been happening from the regulatory perspective. Uh, there's been a lot more clarity um, with timelines to, uh, you know, when, when a potential new listing of the coins to the whitelist that the FSA has um, can occur or um, when you know, people can run an ICO out of Japan. You know, a lot of things were decided. And uh, I'll just give you the high-level stuff. Yeah, so, you know, after CoinCheck, uh, everything went, uh, everything stopped moving, and there was this whole regulation on the exchanges, right? And, um, you know, there's, you know, been provided some rules regarding leverage trading, where you can only do up to 3x now. And um, 
these exchanges have to have like a certain amount of capital reserves to uh, a certain per- a certain multiple of the uh, capital reserves that um, for the AUM that they own or uh, control. And, you know, just all in all, a lot of rules. But one thing is for certain is that the FSA is, is trying to take this the right way. And uh, they're, they're, they've created one of the, um, I think it leads um, the standard globally right now. And on the bright side, if you look at it, it's just, uh, you know, new listings will probably start happening within this year. You'll probably be able to run an ICO out of Japan within this year. SDOs, I think it's going to take a little more time, but sometime next year. And that's where the, uh, the FSA is aiming for. And, um, you know, from a business perspective, uh, uh, one interesting news that I thought had a huge amount of potential was that, you know, we have these uh, prepaid cards where you you i think you guys have them in um states as well but when you go onto a subway or uh when you go onto the bus there's uh you touch this prepaid card to a panel and um that's how you pay your transit fees but we have something like that in japan called suka and um you know those are actually implemented in all of the convenience stores and a lot of restaurants and um mostly buses and subways, but you can pay taxis with that too. Um, It's been around for about 20 years, but that the company that runs that operation is uh, it's JR Japan railways. Anyway, you know, the the biggest uh, rail railway company in Japan, but they've uh, considered like a method to uh, charge that prepaid card with crypto. So um, yeah, they're, they're trying to, They've announced it and they they're considering it. And should that be done, they say that um, it will be implemented within the year if they choose to go in that direction. So I mean, like if that happens, right, you'll be able to pretty much use indirectly, but um, you'll be able to use Bitcoin in whatever, uh, probably like sixty percent or seventy percent of uh, daily transactions that people make in Japan. So that was like one bit of huge news that has me really excited and optimistic. But um, yeah, they ha- yeah, Suka has a mobile app as well. So uh, uh, you know, the the integration should be um, relatively seamless. Yeah, that that's um, the exciting piece of news that I've. Uh, that's great. So far. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, so it's what, a little crazy. It's do you think it's going to affect uh, global global prices given the, you know. I think strong Japanese mm. consumer interest in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, um, and just you know, this is limited to Japan, right? But it's uh, it just offers crypto this whole new utility value, right? You can use it in your everyday day day to day life. Now, whether you want to uh, you know use Bitcoin for for your day to day stuff, that's a different story. Will you? But still, I mean, like it should be, it shouldn't be negative, right? That that's my take on it. Are are you gonna plan yeah. to use Bitcoin for everyday purchases or other cryptocurrencies? <laughs> yeah, um, I I have some, but uh, I think um you know some people will. You see, I think there's a lot of people who've um 
held on to Bitcoin for a long time. And partly because maybe they bought in at high prices or maybe they, they're just waiting for the right opportunity to uh, get out. But for those people, I think that's one use case that can because I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I just didn't mean I didn't mean to um, discuss whether using Bitcoin for everyday purchases is good or bad. But um, yeah, no, just, just don't, I need to apologize. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you know, I, like it depends, right? If I guess I think it, it also depends what type of, what type <laughs> of Bitcoin think it's we're talking about. Then maybe, yeah. yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. Cash, Bitcoin SV. I think, uh-huh. you know, and yeah, I mean, like, um, right now it's just big, that's what Bitcoin, that's what they announced. But I'm assuming that they'll have like a, you know, longer list of um, crypto that can be uh, uh, integrated, right? Yeah, I, 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 I'm a little just given Roger Ver is based in Tokyo, I'm mm-hmm. a little surprised Bitcoin Cash didn't make it. But yeah, we'll see. Me too. But we'll see. Yeah. And yeah. And then it's still, um, you know, um, it's uh, news that they released saying that they're considering it but they have also like released a timeline too so uh well but yeah we'll see in time but if that happens it's it's great i think it's great in terms of yeah i mean like crypto right you can use them about 70 for 70 percent of your daily transactions that that should be big right um you can't do that everywhere anywhere else sure yeah i mean i i personally i think it's like really good for the industry mm-hmm. and really good for the assets that this happens. I don't mm-hmm. see like that much of a competitive advantage to using at least something like Bitcoin in that way. And then, oh it's, yeah, it's not really mm-hmm. you're still kind of going through a, a large centralized intermediary where mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. really have yep. kind of the autonomy yep. and privacy yep. of your yep. transactions. So Definitely. I mm-hmm. I think this is like a great step. Although mm-hmm. I it strikes me as more of a novelty where you if you take something more like you know Bitcoin Cash where it can settle in a matter of seconds. That's mm-hmm. really a, 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 a greater utility where, mm-hmm. you know, now, as a merchant, you can say, hey, listen, no, no chargebacks or mm-hmm, if Lightning mm-hmm, is able mm-hmm. to scale, then you're able to do transactions without chargebacks and to kind of be, not have these large financial intermediaries taking two, three percent off the top. Because in this scenario, you, you still have the yeah. issuing yes. bank that's taking a percentage, perhaps even a greater percentage than what's being used for credit or debit cards. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think good, good, good step, but definitely still a long, a long way to go in terms of actual, yep. you know, mm-hmm. adoption definitely. of yes. cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. or I think the, the most attractive cryptocurrencies, which most fall into this camp is, you know, digital sound money versus, mm-hmm. you know, government inflationary. Mm-hmm. Money. Mm-hmm. I know personally, I I'd much rather spend, you know, my U.S. dollars or any other yeah. government currency I hold, because the only thing I know for sure is that it's going to be worth less tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. I'm, I Definitely. don't, I don't have that conviction about any of the cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. that I own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. So, Ken, I know we've taken uh, a lot of your time today. I had fun catching up and, and hearing about this latest news in Japan. I hope to go back soon and eat some great Japanese food and go to more onsen with you uh, <laughs> yes, that was fun. and yeah th- thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today no thank you